Welcome to the 27th episode of Thought Space, the podcast for the Center for Policy Research. CPR is an independent think tank researching on various issues from urbanization to foreign policy, from economic reforms to environmental challenges. Today, Richard Bansal, Director of Communications at CPR, will be in conversation with Rahul Verma, fellow at CPR, about his new book Ideology and Identity: The Changing Party Systems of India. Hi, I'm Richa and welcome to the podcast Rahul. Uh, Rahul Verma has joined CPR recently as a fellow and he has come out with a new book which is called Ideology and Identity: The Changing Party Systems of India. Today in this podcast we're going to discuss this book. So Rahul, why don't you begin by giving us an overview or a context of this book? Thank you, Richa. Uh so this book is basically it has three components uh so what what basically we do in the book is for a long time scholars of indian party politics thought that indian politics is non ideological uh and the reason they thought this that because parties in india do not differentiate themselves on economic issues so economic left and right is very common way of looking at ideological divide in west europe and other places and because it wasn't happening in india everyone thought it's non ideological second is that we like most people think and even like both journalistic account as well as academic account suggest that identities such as caste religion region and then uh vote buying what is what dictates indian politics so we sort of contend that in our book and the third one is we argue that there's a long shadow of this ideological conflict on indian politics and it has shaped the development of party system in india for like last seven decades that's very interesting rahul so you begin by saying that there is an ideological divide in india can you break that down further given it's different from how it's perceived in the western countries yeah so uh we define ideology and this is a standard definition in in empirical political science that like we define ideology as set of ideas which are bound together in a non random fashion right so there may be five six issues i may care one more and the sixth less but these all the bundle go together and that bundle is sort of like considered as ideological uh, in nature now something to become ideological it needs to be stable for a long period of time right so every election is going to see a very different issue dominating election and the second election is going to have a different issue but something to be called ideological it must remain stable for a long period of time so in our case uh, to figure out what is ideological in india we basically wanted to know what our freedom fighters and founding fathers were sort of debating about talking about discussing about so we went back to the freedom movement documents karachi resolution and other things and we read through the whole constituent assembly debates to figure out what they were talking about and after reading those documents we basically came up with two axes on which we think indian politics has sort of like remained divided for a long period of time the first axis we call it as politics of recognition which is in a multi ethnic country like india where you have large number of groups and each are sort of trying to get a seat on the table how do you bring them into uh, the body politic india was deeply hierarchical right so how you are going to bring groups into the body politic 
that becomes the first basis of uh, conflict which has basically whether you are going to bring them in through quotas reservation or some special provisions and second debate on this axis was happening on given this is a hindu majority country should the state follow a majoritarian logic or should it basically tilt towards favoring majority so that becomes our first axis the second axis we call it as politics of statism and on that like the argument we make that the western political thought in its conception of state society relationship is very very different from how indian political thought is right so we read through our classic texts such as arthashastra mahabharata ramayana uh, and 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 some of the contemporary figures such as gandhi uh, and others and what we figured out that these guys are basically saying that the relationship of state and society in subcontinent and i'm not just saying about india like the subcontinental political thought is very very different where the role of the state is to protect the social order it cannot intervene in social order and remake things so the and ambedkar and nehru basically wanted to use the state to remake the society they thought there are lots of injustices state should be making laws to correct them whereas if you see people like gandhi even they wanted to bring reform but they didn't want to use the iron hand of the state to bring reform so for them the reform should be coming from within not uh, state using its force to bring reform and a good example would be sabrimala temple entry issue right? right so there are some people who would say that the state should bring in a law to allow women's entry others would argue that such a move is against the basis of religious practice in that place and the state should have no role to play in it so the two uh, kind of ideological divides in india is the one to do with recognition and the other to do with statism which yeah. nehru did try to follow am i yeah right? so nehru and ambedkar would sort of stand on politics of statism so basically they wanted to use the force of the state both in social norms as well as redistribution of private property whereas others would sort of stand against on it and 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 the argument we make that these two divisions have sort of resonated in indian politics even after post independence thanks coming back to your original answer are you saying caste religion identities and the socks politicians give out before elections like sarees samosas lucard none of these hold water and it's purely ideological can you dive a bit deeper into this uh, thank you for this question richa Uh, so no, we are not saying that none of this matter at all. Like if you look at the title of the book, the title is ideology and identity, right? So identities remain very very important how people participate in electoral process. But what we have done, or at least some uh, people have sort of done, is we look at very reductionist view of identity. whereas if you are born into some caste and community and that's why you participate in certain way that is what we are contending against so even if i am say on the politics of recognition i i may be upper caste right but my opposition so some people would as an upper caste some people are going to oppose reservation because they don't like say for dalits or or muslims but there are going to be people who think that this policy is not okay right so there is a difference between a policy differences 
and, and a policy perspective on why I oppose reservation and because I'm prejudiced to certain groups, right? right. So, so we, we sort of like go deep into this idea to separate that opposition to recognition is not just because of prejudice. There is of course some amount of prejudice, but there are also policy perspectives on why people sort of like take those positions. Which are more objective. Yes, yes, I would say so. Uh, second, so, so basically, uh, like we know this, that all political parties distribute cash and they give all kinds of SOPs in elections. So there's no denial about that these things are not present in Indian elections. What we are saying that they do not basically determine the final results, right? So let's take an example from Tamil Nadu, which we have in the book. Uh, there's a journalist who's standing at a tobacco kiosk and he notices that person from party A comes and gives out like a rupee 500 note. Then after half an hour, a person from party B comes and gives out another thousand rupees note. And the journalist asks this kiosk owner, uh, you got money from both the parties, who are you going to vote now? And the kiosk owner replies, actually we don't say no to Lakshmi. They both gave me money, I basically kept it and I'm going to vote as I wish. So that's the point we are trying to make in this book and we use evidence to suggest that ideological positions matter much more than these SOPs and other things. Hats. So given this uh, ideological division which has shaped Indian politics, how do you explain the rise of Modi and BJP in 2014? So, so in the book we basically describe that the rise of the right in 2014 and Modi's victory, like the scale of the victory is surprising, but their rise is sort of like a historical culmination of battle of ideas that has been waged on Indian political scene for past hundred years, right? So the rise of the right has been slow, but they have been certainly rising. And we sort of like trace the, like the historical origins of right-wing politics pre-independence, but how different right-wing parties slowly coalesced and became into what we know as BJP today. Like if you go back to 1952, there were lots of smaller right-wing parties. They slowly came under one umbrella and then now like post-1918, we know this is BJP. And what, what has happened over last uh, 20 and 30 odd years that the Congress umbrella basically has been shrinking from both the ends. So socialists have been leaving Congress party pre-independence and in late 1970s and 80s when Congress started moving away from its original position on recognition and statism, basically it created a space for the right-wing forces to coalesce together and that's why the size of uh, right-wing has been increasing every decade. Modi basically is, is present at a historical moment where the social conservatives were always behind the BJP, Modi manages to bring on the new economic conservatives into the BJP's oh, fold, and that's what it led to the growth of BJP in 2014. So you just hinted at this, that Congress actually moved away from statism ideologically. Can you just go further into this and actually uh, explain the Congress decline uh, from an ideological perspective, if you have explained it in your book. Okay, this, this is this is a uh, fascinating question, right? Because uh, most oh. people think that the decline of Congress is linked to either leadership or organization, which is in some ways correct. But what is happening in India that the decline of Congress across Indian states is not uniform, right? 
the national leadership is the same mostly the organizational variable is also not very very different but if you look at some states like chatisgarh madhya pradesh rajasthan himachal pradesh congress still the like important party and in these three states it's won the recent election but if you look at other states such as up bihar bengal tamil nadu congress has been like decimated it doesn't stand a chance there so so we use this framework to understand why congress declined in some places but in other places it is still present and that is where our ideological framework comes into the picture we argue that congress still has a presence in state where it can differentiate itself ideologically so in states where its main competitor is bjp it can say hey we have like ideological differences right and the voters who are sort of like oppose bjp ideologically they are going to sort of favor congress but if you go into states like say uttar pradesh congress now cannot differentiate itself from sp and bsp yes. on the issue of recognition yes. right or on the statism so there is no ideological difference and that's why like there are other factors as well but that's how ideology plays a role of decline of congress because congress nationally kept moving sort of like in favor of statism in favor of recognition which created space for right wing forces to coalesce on one side while congress so on the question of recognition congress in rhetoric says it favors but in practice wasn't doing anything which gave sort of like space for backward caste parties to say that congress only talks does nothing and so even it loses the position on recognition but did it or anyways have position on recognition in terms of economic sort of representation so it does have some position but i think like this is a hard question to answer at the moment because that's like also a dilemma of a centrist party right when you are in the center you don't know like which way to move and how much to move right so you are basically getting pressure from both the ends of the ideological spectrum on one side there is right which is mobilizing against you on the other side you have communist socialist parties and backward caste party so, so for example uh, on backward caste question congress party was sort of like they established kaka kalelkar commission in 1955 but nothing happens till 1979 till uh, the janta party government come and they established bp mandal commission right again nothing happens till 1989 when bp singh comes and then he gave, gets the reservation to sort of backward caste yes. basically when the congress plays the game when the game is over right so they they allocate backward caste reservation in higher education be back in like in 2005 by the time it's too late for backward caste to trust them that they are going to be taken care by the congress this brings me to my last question rahul um, very interesting the intricacies of ideology that define uh, politics in india given where we are at this point in time hmm. and with the elections coming up what does the future hold okay so that's a hard question uh no definitive answers yeah yeah so 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 future we can think in terms of like uh the development of party system at the moment right so what we have seen since 2014 that bjp has been expanding both socially and geographically which has got halted in like 2018 now in 2017 everyone was thinking about that now we are in a era of bjp led dominant system which is still not over 
because BJP still has ideological sort of like uh, hegemony, it has better electoral machine, it has better organizational structure, and it has certainly better uh, like charismatic leadership, though you may not agree uh, with Modi, right, on many issues. So on, on these count, BJP still remains the predominant party. But BJP is also going to face lots of challenges. And those challenges are basically ideological challenges. The reason is that the ideological coalition that brought BJP to, to its rise is also getting dealing because of the lots of changes that is taking place in the society. And also because of the things which BJP is doing. For example, lot of like young voters got enamored by the idea that Modi proposed that this is going to be a government of Sabka Saad, Sabka Vikas, I'll take everyone along, I'll offer like economic development to the country and everything would be like good, right? But a lot of people associated with BJP be, like practice very parochial politics, which is going to create a tension in the access on statism where the young voters of India does not want to follow parochial social norms. So, so the data shows that young voters are more accepting to say like having drinks or premarital dating or, or things like that where BJP politicians would argue against that, right? So, and, and, and if BJP pushes that line too far, uh, then the messages which is coming because now the young is sort of hooked to the social media and watches things happening across the world, there would be a tension emerging on that front. The second tension is for long time in India, people who oppose reservations and people who wanted Hindu majoritarianism or say anti-Muslim politics, they were the same kind of people. Now what is happening that it is getting dealing. So many young Indians, especially like in urban middle class educated, they are opposed to the politics of reservations, but they do not want to be seen as anti-Muslim. So even that coalition on recognition might break apart. So presence of Modi, like basically because he's charismatic, he can hold on to these contradictions. As Modi magic will keep on waning, these contradictions may unravel and basically BJP may slide down. So, so BJP has two problems. One is the delinking of ideological coalition. Two, Modi himself, right? Like once Modi goes, how BJP is going to sort of manage. The third problem is that BJP's social base has changed in 20 years. So now there are more backward caste and Dalits are voting for the BJP. But the party leadership structure still is very upper caste. So most of the MPs, ministers, MLAs, chief ministers are from upper caste. Social base has changed. So this is again going to create a tension on that front. As long as Modi remains at the helm of affairs, as long as he's popular, they will be able to hold on to these contradictions. It may unravel very soon in 2019 or sometime later. In that sense, BJP needs to sort of work on two fronts. One, keep on setting the agenda of the debate to remain sort of like ahead of the game. Second, develop mechanisms to deal with these emerging contradictions. These are, if they manage to do these two things, they will certainly remain the dominant player in parties in the party system for some time. Thank you so much. This has Thank been a most fascinating discussion. If anything, uh, the biggest takeaway is that the Indian voters continue to evolve. That's correct. That's correct. Thank you so much, Richard. If you enjoyed this episode of Thought Space and want to learn more about the research CPR does across various topics, 
Please subscribe to our mailing list and social media channels through our website www.cprindia.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at cpr_india.